I've already said this, but I'll say it again, and I'll probably say it for the history of, of my time in the pulpit. We want to passionately pursue Jesus in this church. We want to passionately pursue Jesus. We want to see his face. We want to fall more and more in love with him. We want to sneeze. sneezing feels good. Um, and so I want to talk about Jesus today. I want to, I want to talk about Jesus. Um, don't get me wrong, I was, um, I even shared it last week too, where we were talking about our commitments and we talked about being a house of prayer. We talked about being a house that preaches the word and we talked about being a house that pursues Jesus. And when Alyssa and I were prayerfully talking about that and gathering all that together, I said, I hope I don't offend people um, because we are charismatic. We are charismatic. That's not changing. So I love the Father and I love the Holy Spirit. So when I say that we're going to be a house that pursues Jesus and when I say we're going to be a house of prayer and that preaches the word, sometimes people get a little triggered and they go, oh, you're not you're going to start minimizing Holy Spirit, or you're going to start minimizing our Father. And, and I'm not. Not at all. Um, I love Holy Spirit. I love the Father. I love being charismatic. Uh, I enjoy manifestations for the most part, believe it or not. I know sometimes I think I have a slight reputation of being anti-manifestation. I'm not. I like it. But the revelation I had is God the Father is amazing and wonderful, and Holy Spirit is awesome. Without Jesus, I wouldn't have any of it. And sometimes, from a charismatic perspective, uh, I think we overemphasize the Father, and we overemphasize Holy Spirit in terms of gifting, because I think we underemphasize Holy Spirit in terms of fruit, but that's a whole other sermon. And we we kind of diminish Jesus a little bit. And something that I look to our evangelical brethren and I see them speaking about Jesus, talking about Jesus, and Jesus seems to be the main focus for them. And it makes sense in some ways. And sometimes I think that can get unbalanced. But sometimes I look at what they're doing and I hear what they're saying and I see what they're going after and I, I'm like, I think we're lacking in that just a little bit in the charismatic world. I think we've, we're really excited about our Heavenly Father, and we're really excited about breaking the orphan spirit and the spirit of adoption and having a good Father that gives good gifts. And we get really excited about Holy Spirit who encourages us and, and gives us gifts, and we, and we forget Jesus a little bit. Don't get me wrong, we all understand and we love Jesus because all of us are Christians, and so we accepted Jesus into our hearts. But I, I just... I just felt this in my spirit that we need to stop using Christ as a door and we need to start realizing he's a person that we relate to. And when we, we relate with him, he recreates himself in us. And that is actually the Christian journey. But sometimes we just treat him like a door. We just treat him like a bridge. How many of you guys remember that poster, you know, where it's sin? on one side and it's glory and righteousness on the other and there's this big divide and you see this cross 
And the cross is the bridge that gets you from unrighteousness to righteousness. And it says Christ spans the divide. You guys ever seen anything that looks like that? Because I've seen it. And it's true. Don't get me wrong. But I, I noticed something. Something hit me when I was thinking about that image. It, we say Christ spanned the divide, but we show a cross. And can I, just, can I just suggest to you this morning that maybe we need to take Christ off the cross? Because guess what? He got off the cross. And sometimes we, we put Christ with the cross and we, we don't remove him from that. And so we use him as a doorway. We use him as a bridge. Thanks to Christ, I got into the righteous place, and now I can relate to God, and now I receive Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. And we need to actually start realizing he's more than the cross. He's more than a gate. He's more than a bridge. He's a person. And not only is he a person, but literally my devotion is to him. And when my devotion is to him, he does this amazing thing through the Spirit, where he recreates himself in me. We are called Christians, and I've talked about that. There was a derogatory term, but we adopted it because it means little Christ. We're supposed to be little Christ. We're supposed to be disciples. A disciple's primary objective and motivation is to become like his master or her master. Second Corinthians 3.18. But we all with unveiled faces looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as from the Lord, the Spirit. The Lord there is not God the Father. There is a transition, if you will. One of the things that changed from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. In the Old Covenant, it was the Heavenly Father, but he was the Lord Creator. But a transition happened when he sent his Son. His Son became our Lord. And God, the Lord Creator, became God the Father in the New Covenant. So when you're reading the New Testament and you see Lord, that's Jesus. It's referring to Jesus. He's our Lord and Savior. We sometimes forget that bit. We really like to celebrate the Savior part, and we kind of go, ah, the Lord too, I guess. So when it says, but with unveiled faces looking as in a mirror, how do you look in a mirror? How do you look in a mirror? I don't know about you, this morning I got ready. I shaved, I trimmed the mustache. So I was like, you know, here's the mirror. I was right up my, yeah. <laughs> Let me make sure it's, make, is all the hair right? That's how I look in a mirror. Am I looking good? I'm looking good. Excellent. Huh? Thank you. That's how I look in a mirror. So as, when I look with unveiled face, unhidden face, as in a mirror, so intently, looking intently at the glory of the Lord, my Lord's face, Jesus' face. I'm being transformed into that same image. So when I start relating to Jesus as a person, 
and I am in his presence, and I'm saying, show me your face. And he is revealing his face to me. He's revealing his heart to me. He's pouring into me. I am being transformed into that image. I love Jesus, and I'm learning to put him in the right place in my life and in my devotion. I was realizing he's more than just the cross. The cross is important, and what he did on the cross is important, but he's more than just the cross. He was beat for my healing. He was killed for my sin. He was raised for my salvation, and he ascended to send the Spirit for my transformation. So the challenge for a church that's passionately pursuing Jesus, what does that look like and what does it mean? It means that as individuals in the body, we're passionately pursuing Jesus. Because the Bible says Jesus became all things to all men. Did you know that? Paul said that. Who was Paul emulating? So he's everything to you. I just want to talk about a couple things. I'm breaking, I told us I'm breaking a rule. I have a list. And in the future, when I have a list, I'm going to try and make those each a message, get a sermon series going. And all of these points could be messages of their own. But this is what I was, I'm just feeling, Alyssa goes, just follow the wind. And I said, yep, I'm going to follow the wind. Christ is all things. We can list everything he is. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. He's my Prince of Peace. He's the Lion. He's the Lamb. He's the Bridegroom. He's the Head. We can talk about all of that. I just want to hit a couple just to kind of, emphasize the universality of Christ. That there's never a time when you go, I don't want to talk to you, Christ. I want to talk to somebody else. Because he's everything we need. He supplies everything we need. So let me just first talk about Christ the Lamb. Christ the Lamb. (laughs) We were at a conference and uh, <laughs> I, I chuckle at this. There was a there was a, a man picketing the conference. He was picketing the conference. A one man protest. And uh, Ascalissa, every time we drove by him, I chuckle. Not because he was funny. He was serious, and he was doing it seriously. He I mean he was wearing sackcloth, like. And he was picketing, and he, the reason why he was picketing was another church, not the church that was putting on the conference, another church was being sued, and the head pastor of the church where the conference was, was on the board of that church, so he's named in the suit. And so was, he's picketing this church going, are you aware that this person is being sued? And I just laughed, because every time I saw him, I saw this picture of me going up to him and going, are you aware the Bible says don't sue fellow Christians? (laughs) Just to see. Because he was serious. I didn't want to do that to mock him or anything. But I just wanted to hear, like, I hear, because me, knowing me, I I mean, I researched. I said, what? Let me me look look this up. 
so I know the whole story. So I just wanted to go, I just want to hear where you're coming from. Because the Bible says, don't sue your brother. The Bible says, don't put your grievances in front of the world. It's a loss. You've already lost. You've, you've damaged the witness of Christ. What does the Bible say you do? In that same verse, he says, it's better to be defrauded than to take your complaint before the courts of man. Do you know how we can do that? Because we have Christ the Lamb as our example. Jesus says, if someone hits you, you turn the other cheek. I don't know about you. When someone hits me, this is my first reaction. Even my children, ask my wife. If they hit me and I'm not look, like not aware, I'm like, who did that? My first reaction is to respond in kind. Jesus says, turn the other cheek. Which, by the way, he, not, he might not meant it this way. Here's how, I always, here's how I always see it. May I have another? Which is really hard. <laughs> it's not just ignore that you got slapped. It's like, try this side. Even me out. How do you do that? How do you do that? You get in front of Jesus. You say, show me your face. And he shows you the lamb. He shows you the Jesus that took every sin upon his body. He shows you the Jesus that was beat for your healing. And he says, be like me. Be like me. That's why he can say, live at peace with all men. I knew I'd get an amen from that one. I, that's hard. I have to get in front of Jesus. When people wrong me, I'm a justice person. I need justice. I need you to know the truth. I need you to understand what really happened. I need you to understand how innocent I am. I'm serious. My son, my oldest son is the same way. That's not fair. And I look at him and I go, oh, my child. I get it. I get it. So I have to go in front of Jesus and say, Jesus, that's not fair. And he says, it's all right. Turn the other cheek. Don't defend yourself. I'm your defender. Leads me into the other one. Christ is our risen Lord, our victorious King. You see, he can say, turn the other cheek because he says, I got your back. Don't worry. Victory is yours through me. That's why he can say, turn the other cheek. 1 Corinthians 15, 17, but thanks to God who gives us victory through our Lord, Jesus Christ. I don't know about you guys. I'm not perfect. Surprise. There are things I struggle with. There are sins I struggle with. There are bad habits I struggle with. And I thank God that when I go to Jesus, sometimes he appears and I say, show me your face. And he appears to me as my victorious king. And he says, don't worry, I've taken care of it. Don't worry, I got it. I got it. Sit down. Let me prepare the table. Sit down. 
I've won the victory. And I realize I don't have to strive and I don't have to fight. And the one thing I have to do sometimes, he says, stand, I stand. He says, push, I push. He says, sit, I sit. Because he knows and he's won. So I can sit there and I can say, thank you, Father, that you sent your son and he's my victorious king. And my victory is in him. And I don't have to worry if you never see my victory. Because he has my victory and I'm looking at him so I see it. That's why I can turn the other cheek. So sometimes we need to sit there. Sometimes when we're in our deepest struggle, we need to turn to Jesus and he's going to say, don't worry, I'm seated on the throne, and you're with me. Rise above. It's just like what Lori was saying. You don't have to live in that condemnation. Don't worry. Thank you. Thank you. Here's a Jesus that I really like. Jesus, my elder brother. I didn't have an elder brother growing up. Well, I did, kind of, actually. I didn't have a natural. I had an older sister. I thank God Jesus is not my older sister. I love you, Mike, if you ever watch this. I didn't have a great relationship with my older sister until we were older. But I love Jesus, the elder brother, because Jesus, the elder brother, jokes with me. Jesus, the elder brother, is the example that I chase after because I just want to be like my older brother. Here's what I feel biblically that means. In Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things just as we are, yet without sin. You see, when Jesus is the elder brother, he's my older brother, He's the one I go to and I complain to. He's the one I go to and I like, I whine, I whinge, I, you know, because he understands. Because he's been there. When I have a fight with my wife, he's the one I vent to. Because he's been there. He knows what it's like to be disappointed or frustrated or angry, believe it or not, at friends and disciples and loved ones. He's the one that sympathizes with my weakness because he also was tempted in every one. He knows what it's like. So that's the buddy. You know, sometimes we, we make God this unknowable, untouchable, unattainable, and, oh, you're over there. And it's Jesus, the elder brother, that comes and he puts his arm around you and he says, come on, let's go in front of the throne of grace with confidence. Jesus, the older brother that says, it's all right. He's the encourager. He's the one I know exactly. I sympathize. And he's the example then because he goes, I sympathize, but there's a higher calling. I sympathize, but you can still go up. I sympathize, but you can do better. He's the older brother I want to impress and the older brother who loves me. Hmm. Finally, men get uncomfortable. You know where I'm going. Jesus, the bridegroom. 
One of my favorite jokes with one of my favorite people, Chris Coran. I tell him, I'm just praying for you. I'm praying that Jesus reveals himself as the bridegroom in your life. No, no, no. Yes, I am. There's that awkwardness for men where we're part of the bride of Christ. Right? And Christ is our bridegroom. And that gets a little weird for us. We get weird about it. I don't know why. I mean, I know why. But try. And then you'll go, I don't know why. Because when he comes to you as the bridegroom, that's the sweet Jesus. That's, and that's the, honestly, when I am in front, of the, in front of Jesus, show me your face right now, he's the bridegroom right now to me. And men and women, let me give you a benefit. My wife the other week said, you've been just so sweet. And you've just been so loving. You've just been done such a good job lately of showing me that you love me. And she's like, thank you. And I said, blame Jesus. Blame Jesus. You can't get in front of the bridegroom as men and not learn to be a better bridegroom. Can't do it. Jesus, the bridegroom, is the one that loves us so passionately and so fiercely. He's the one that wants us to be pure and holy. He's the one that calls us to that. He, he's the one that wants the intimacy. He's the one that constantly wants to catch our eye, if you will. Women, get uncomfortable. Because Jesus, the bridegroom, wants to teach you submission. What? Did he just, what? Because women, when you get in front of the bridegroom, you learn to receive love. And the response to receiving love is submission to that love. Don't get me wrong. I'm not a, uh, I am not a uh, hardline, man is the head, complementarian. I'm not that. So don't ever worry about that. What I am is submission to love. Men, we learn that too. We submit to one another in love. And when I go in front of the Lord and he's revealing himself to me in that moment as the bridegroom, I'm learning to receive love. I'm learning to give love better receive love better, and submit. Because when you're with that love, I, there's this, you know, Ephesians 5, it talks about women and men, and, and it get, it's gotten twisted, and it's a hard thing, and, and women get twitchy about it, and men get twitchy about it. And I was reading it the other day because I was studying about this, and I realized there's this thing where it's like, you know, in a perfect world, this doesn't even need to be said. Women, Submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Doesn't even need to be said. Because if I'm loving my wife, guess what she's going to do naturally? She submits to love. Guess what? When I'm loving my wife, I'm putting her needs above mine. And when she's receiving that love, she goes, you're safe and I could submit to your love. And you know what she does? She puts my needs before her. You see, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I was telling Alyssa, I've never heard this before. I'm sure it's been said, but this is new to me. So I'm claiming it as original. Amen. 
You see, the Bible says when you find a wife, you find a good thing. It says, and I'll just say, I'll make that gender neutral. When you find a spouse, you find a good thing, okay? And it says you join together and you become one flesh. In the beginning, God created Adam, male and female, he created them, okay? So Adam was whole. And God came and he split Adam apart and he made male and female, okay? And that's why when you come together in marriage, you become one flesh again. God literally does not see Alyssa and Miko. He sees Alyssa Miko, right? And so before that, I was just human. When I married Alyssa, I became whole man. Jesus is our bridegroom. That's the unity. So my marriage is an example of that unity that I'm supposed to have with Jesus. Where I am half, and when I'm with Jesus, I am whole. That's what you're, into. That's what you're stepping into. When Jesus reveals himself as bridegroom, that's the intimacy you're stepping into. You were half. Now you're whole. Who wants that? Okay, that's fine. I'll find some people that do. Okay, thank you. I don't, I literally, I'm waking up in the morning going, Jesus, show me who you are. More, please, more. And this is just a couple because he's your prince of peace. He's, he's your friend. He's everything. He's everything. And so then how do you respond? And that's, that's the part that I'm like, Lord, break me for the, the things. I was, I was complaining to Lori and to Charlie the other day. And I said, he's telling me I need to go out and talk to people. Yuck. But there's this thing when you get in front of Jesus and you say, I love you. And he says, I love you. And you say, but I love you. And he goes, no, but I love you. And you go, show me. And he goes, okay. And then he goes, now show me. And you're like, How? Break my heart for what breaks you. Show me your face. Let me see your smile. Give me your approval. And he'll start telling you the things he wants you to do. Who would have guessed seek the lost was in that list? Hopefully most of us. You see, I have a great teaching on that, and it's true. We're not all called to be evangelists. We're all called to be witnesses. So let's, let's the evangelists evangelize, and I'll just witness. And then I get in front of God, and that's, a, by the way, a wonderful, correct, biblically correct message. Our evangelist agreed with it, okay? So it's correct, and it also feels safe and wonderful. I'll let the evangelist evangelize, and I will just witness. And then I get in front of Jesus, and I say, break my heart for what breaks you. I want to pursue you, which means just like when I pursued Alyssa, I want to like what you like. I want to do what you do, and I want to be with you. Now, where are you going, Jesus? And he said, I want to go out there. Will you go with me? Now, I'm not saying when you get in front of Jesus, he's going to tell you that. But I was like, Lord, you're messing up my theology. Because my theology says, I'm a witness, I'm not an evangelist. He said, I didn't say you were an evangelist. I'm just wondering if you're going to go out there. Do you love me? And I have to say yes. Some of you will get in front of Jesus. So don't worry. Some of you will get in front of Jesus 
Jesus, I love you. I love you. Jesus, I love you. I love you too. Jesus, show me how to love you more. Great. Pastor my people. See, some of you will hear that. He won't say, go out and seek. He'll say, take care of, take care of my family. So don't worry. I'm just, for me right now, he's like, go out. And I'm like, okay. All right. We talked about that. When you pursue Jesus, when you pursue Jesus, he's more than a gate. He's a person. He's transforming you into him. But do you know what I love about that? The more like Jesus I get, the more related to my father I become. The more connected to my father. The more like Jesus I get, the more connected to the Holy Spirit. Because you know how, you know the mechanism Jesus uses to transform me is Holy Spirit. See, Holy Spirit, his primary job is to come here and testify to Jesus. That's why Jesus said, I go to give you something better. Because if I was here, I'm limited. If I stayed here, I'd be limited. He could translocate. He did that all, he did that for like, he stayed 40 days after he was raised, just bouncing around, talking to people, going, hey, remember me? I'm back. How you doing? Hey, I come, come, come to Jerusalem and, and wait, wait in this room for a bit. But even Jesus that can just translocate everywhere is still limited. So he said, there's a better thing. I'm going to go up, and I'm going to send the Spirit down. And the Spirit's primary job will give you power to accomplish what I'm doing and to reveal me fully to everybody. Why? So that I can be more like Jesus. What was Jesus with the Father? What was Jesus with the Father? One. They were one. So I become more like Jesus. See, I'm, not say, I'm not denying the other two pieces of the Trinity when I'm saying we pursue Jesus. Because by pursuing Jesus, I'm pursuing it all. Let me end it on this. Um, Matthew. Matthew 5. There's a principle here I want to I hit. And... Um, Matthew 5 is the famous Sermon on the Mount, famous Beatitudes. I want to focus on um, verse 6, Matthew 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. I want to propose to you, first of all, the Beatitudes are amazing. You want to talk about the, the uh, mindset of the kingdom. Beatitudes. We'll probably be talking about that more. It's on our list. But I want to focus on this one. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I want to put it to you that righteousness, it's not talking about, Jesus is not talking about righteousness as we think about it, being right, living right. He's not talking about, oh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst to live right, for they'll be filled. They'll be filled. That's not what he's saying because he already knows if you've accepted me positionally, you are righteous. I've taken care of that. So what is he talking about? I want to put it to you. He's talking about himself. Hunger and thirst after him because he is our righteousness. It's not a position. It's a person. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. There is a hunger that we are supposed to have as Christians, and that hunger is for Jesus. That desire is for Jesus. I want to be captured in my desire. I don't know if you remember when you first met your spouse, how you felt about your spouse. But we want to get back to that first love. You see, when I first met Alyssa, Alyssa asked me the other day, when did you first love me? And I said, well, let's see. Christian answer is when I knew I was going to marry you, right? The human answer is I saw you and I went, hello. I chased her for a year and then we started dating. And man, that first year was awesome. Learning about each other, getting to know each other, finding out about her family, still wanting to be with her, her finding about my family, still wanting to be with me. That's amazing. That's miracle right there. And I'll tell you what, the second year that love got a little cold, didn't it? Didn't it? Yeah. That second year, I got a little casual with it. And you know what she did? She dropped me like a bad habit. And you know what I realized? Wait, I still, I really really like her. And I said, I better act right. I better get my act together. And we were, what, broken up for four months, five months, and then we were suddenly kind of back together and together since. But she'll tell you it goes up and it goes down and it goes up and it goes down. And we have to work to keep that fire burning. I get first love fades. It takes work to keep that fire burning. I present myself as a living sacrifice. This is my act of worship. This is my act of adoration. This is my act of sacrifice. I almost said salvation. Sacrifice. That I'm going to put myself on the altar day after day to keep my fire burning, my fire of love and passion. Lord, give me a hunger for you. Give me that first love again because that first love says I will do anything to stay here with you. I will do anything to make you smile. I will do anything to see your face light up. And we need to go back to that with Jesus. We get we get used to things. We get casual. I get it. We get in our habits. You know, Alyssa and I were like, this year we need to take go out on dates, like dates, not just accidental, intentional dates. Because we need to make sure that our relationship is stoked. Our relationship, the fire stays going. And so we need to be deliberate and intentional. And when we started pursuing Jesus, we started going, we want to be a house of prayer. We want to be pursuing Jesus. We both said we need to make deliberate times in our schedule. Wait, and I, guys, I am getting up at 5 a.m. on Tuesdays so I can be at this church at 6, so I can pray, so I can meet with Jesus. That's a sacrifice for me. But you know what I said? I said, Lord, I need to show you that I want that love. I want that first love. I'm pursuing you again. I want to be fresh again. The Lord reminded me the thing that called me to ministry was I saw him move on a group of kids. And I said, if it's going to be like this, then I'm all in. If it's going to be like this, I want to see it. And then he reminded me, and then it didn't, you know, you didn't do much. 
And he's like, if that's your passion, then that's what you need to be praying for. That's what you need to be desiring, that you see me move in people's lives. And I said, you're right. Father, grow that passion back in me, that I see you move in people's lives. The first love that said, Lord, if this is what it's about, then I'm here. Bring that back to me. Increase my hunger. I want to love you more. I want a deeper love for you. So what's a church that's pursuing Jesus? It's a church that says, I know that I won't always accomplish it, but I will always be striving to maintain first love. First love with my Savior. First love with the King. First love with the Lion and the Lamb. First love with my elder brother. First love with the bridegroom. I will maintain that as best as I can, and I will gladly, gladly be in community. Because when my fire starts getting dim, I can go to you and you can help stoke me. Iron sharpens iron that also causes sparks to fly. That's why we're in community. When my fire maybe has gone out, I get around somebody and they start rubbing against me and they start encouraging me, jostling me, and suddenly a spark goes and I'm ignited again. Father, Give us a deeper revelation of your son. Holy Spirit, reveal him more and more in our lives that we get back to that first love place. That as a church, we can say we are a first love place. And then watch us soar. Watch us burn. Because I'm telling you, I'm so excited. When we get in front of Jesus, we say, only you. I'm so excited about the things he goes, great, only me. Now I want you to do something. And we go, yes, Father. Because some of you will be, tend to my sheep. Some of you will be, go out and seek. Some of you will be, sing. Some of you will be, play. Some of you will be, teach. I'm so excited. But because we're doing it not out of, look at me. Aren't I amazing that I'm up here? And it's so cool you guys are looking at me. It's not for my own esteem. It's not for my own acclaim. It's not for yours. It's for the love of Jesus. I was serious. The Lord touched me at this conference. And my response was, I know the promises you have for this church. But if this church never changes, I'm still here because you're here. That's what first love is. I say this to my wife all the time. If you never changed, I still choose to love you. If you never change, I still choose to love you. That's what love is. Jesus, if you never move me from this place, if my platform stays this way, I am totally okay with that. Because it's about you. It's not about me. Amen? Amen. So, I just want to encourage you guys right now, if, if you were listening to this and you said, you know what, I need, I need some stoking in my fire. You know, I need to recommit myself to that first love. I just want to invite you to come and, and stand in front of the altar. If that's anybody in the room that says, I want to purpose to first love with Jesus again, I just want to invite you right now. Please. This is really a course for all of us up there. We were singing the song, All Your Promises Are Yes and Amen. And so I said, Lord, I, give me a personal promise. Would you just a personal promise? And he said, I will conform you to the character of my son, Jesus.
There's that song, Take My Heart, Form It, Take My Mind, Transform It, Take My Will, Conform It to You, to You. Yeah. So, Father, I just thank you so much for the greatest gift you've ever given us, and that's your son. And Holy Spirit, I thank you so much that you are always faithful and working in us to reveal Jesus. And Father, Holy Spirit, increase our love for Jesus. Increase our hunger for Jesus. That we as Christians should live in a state of hunger, desire, anticipation. I thank you for that. And it doesn't have to be loud. I thank you for that. But it has to be there. And so I just pray for the blessing of hunger on this house and on these people and in myself. A blessing of hunger. More, more, more of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, guys.